welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Father, we are so thankful for that truth, that we have been cleansed through the blood of Jesus. And God, that when you look upon your children, God, you're looking at us through the blood of Jesus. His righteousness being imputed onto us. We are so thankful for that truth because that is where our hope comes from. And so, God, we, we thank you for tonight, an opportunity for us to dive into your word again. We're thankful for this weekend, a chance for us to get to know one another, to spend time together, to serve together, to laugh together. And God, I'm thankful that you have called us to surround ourselves with other believers. And God, that you reveal yourself to us through them. And so we ask tonight, God, as we open your word, that you would reveal yourself in a mighty way. We know that your word is living and active. And God, through your spirit, you reveal yourself to us. So please do that tonight. It's your name that we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. How's everybody doing? I got one good. Is everybody else okay? Yeah? Well, you've survived another week of class. Are you getting settled into a new routine, figuring out how things go, new students? Yeah? It's a little bit of a transition, isn't it? It's having to figure out a new rhythm to life, having to find where your classes are, where the cafeteria is that has the best food, where things are in Denton. I will never forget the very first time I had to figure out when I was in college. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, I told the first grade, I told you a little bit about my time in college. I'm going to tell you a few more stories. But I remember the very first time my roommate and I had to figure out where the grocery store was. It's like, we had no idea. And okay, I'm about to date myself, but that's okay. Y'all, I went to college before Google existed, okay? I remember vividly my, you're like, oh my goodness, she's old. Um, (laughs) So uh, my sophomore year of college, I vividly remember a professor telling us about Google, changed our lives. But It was such an interesting experience trying to figure out, how do I do this on my own? How do I be an adult? And so one of the things that I learned really quickly was that I couldn't do it on my own. I needed people. I needed friends. I needed um, people just to help me figure out this time in that season in my life. And so that's our hope, obviously, as the BSM is to get to be that with you. Our hope for tonight and this weekend And really, this whole semester is to help you get connected, not only here, but to get connected with one another. And so that's one of the reasons we do Crave Dinners. That's why we're doing Connect Weekend. That's why we have Connect Groups. All of those things, because we want to see you get more connected. Um, So Connect Weekend, you should have seen on the schedule the email that I went out, like kind of what we're going to do. So just to kind of give you a quick idea, when we're finished tonight, you'll get to go to a host home and... um, you're going to hang out, play games, and then you'll spend the night, get some sleep. We have a long day tomorrow. And then we'll get up in the morning. Uh, you'll do breakfast at your host home. You're going to come to where we're going to do our service project, which, which is the Cumberland Children's Home. And it's literally less than a mile from here. We're going to meet there at 930. Please do your best to be there by 930 um, because we want to give time for them to give us our instructions. I want to get out there and actually serving by 10 o'clock. Deal? Can you help me with that? Um, also, the UNT women's basketball team, I do, I do a lot of stuff with them. They're going to come and serve with us. And so that's going to be just a fun opportunity for us. It's kind of like my two worlds colliding. So I'm excited about that. Just so you know, they'll be there as well. When that's finished, we'll come back here for lunch. We have a local church providing food. And then we'll give you an opportunity to run home if you need to get cleaned up. And then we're going to all just go hang out at the rec center. So make sure you have your student ID 
that's how you can get in. If you want to go swimming, they have a pool. If you want to play basketball, if you want to do whatever they have going on over there, just go and we'll hang out. Then we'll be back here at 5 o'clock for dinner, and then we'll finish up with one more time of teaching. So that's our schedule, and then obviously on Sunday we start our church tour. That way we all know what's going on, just in case you didn't read the email. Sound good? If you have questions, talk to your Connect Group leader, talk to a staff member. We want to make sure that we can answer all those questions for you. So our mission of the BSM is we know him to make him known. And so kind of what we decided to do when we were first planning this out in April was what did we want the theme to be? And we said we want the theme to be love God and love others. And so tonight we're going to dive into what does it mean to love God? And then tomorrow we're going to look at what does it mean to love others? And so basically it's just really simplifying the BSM mission statement. And so tonight, if you want to go ahead and grab a Bible just to go ahead and have it open, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. If you're using one of the BSM Bibles, we put the page number up there for you. It's on page 431. And so I'm going to teach through a text that is very familiar to a lot of people. If you grew up in church, you have heard about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And I was joking with the staff earlier, every time I read this, I picture VeggieTales. How many of you are familiar with the VeggieTales of this? Yeah, like Rackshaft and Benny, I kept singing the song. I even sent it to them. I was like, this might make an appearance tonight. Um, so we're going to be looking at that. But like I said, I want to tell you a little bit about my time in college. I grew up, I always say nine months before I was born, I was in church. I don't know a season of my life where I wasn't a part of a church. And so because of that, I always knew the name Jesus. I always knew um, this list of things that we were supposed to do and what we weren't supposed to do. But the hard thing was I had a hard time understanding why. And so I went off to college and literally was put into a situation where I was forced to kind of start to figure some of this out. I went to Belmont University, which is 10, 12 hours away from where I lived here in Texas. So I went to Nashville, big city, had no idea what I was getting myself into. It was a Baptist school, so I went in ignorantly thinking, well, that just means everybody's a Christian, so why else would you go to a Baptist school? Well, I quickly realized that it's, it's one of the top music schools uh, for that, for a specific thing. And so I realized very quickly, there are a lot of people there that had no interest in faith. And as I was having conversations with him and getting to know friends, I started to realize that there were some pieces that I was missing in understanding the gospel. There were some pieces that were just missing when it came to, like, how do I practically live out my faith? Like I said, I knew the to-dos and I knew the to-don'ts. Does that make sense? If you grew up in church, you're probably thinking, yeah, I get that. Like, I knew, don't do this do this, but recognizing why we do, don't do this and why we do this was just muddy for me. And so when it came down to actually figuring out what it meant to love God, I needed some help figuring that out. I would have said, yeah, I love God. See, here was the thing. I knew from a very early age that I was a sinner, which means that I was just broken. I knew that. And I knew that I needed Jesus to come to restore the relationship between me and God. I got that part of the gospel. But the next part of it, what it meant for practically applying it, was fuzzy. And part of that was just because I didn't really have anyone help me understand it. My parents did the best that they could with what they had been equipped to do. And so when I got to college... God blessed me with a good group of friends, and we just started figuring it out together. We tried out a bunch of churches, and we were like, okay, where do we think we want to end up? We joined um, their version of BSM with something a little bit different, and they had a ministry choir, so a big group of us did that together. And that was my community. And I'm super thankful for that, that God placed me in a group of people that cared enough for me to say, we're going to do this together. And we stuck through it the whole four years I was in school. And so tonight I just want to help lay a foundation of what does it actually mean to love God. Does that sound good? And I know some of you are probably thinking, Stephanie, I know this. I've been a part of church. Believe me, that was what I thought too. Right? And so what I want to do is I want to look at this story. And then we're going to get super, like, practical and say, what does this actually mean? How do we actually do this? Now here's the thing. I just told you that I lived my life by a list, a list of to-dos and a list of to-don'ts. 
I'm about to give you a list. And here's what I want you to understand. We do not earn God's favor by checking off things off of a list. Does that make sense? I cannot earn God's love by being good enough. It doesn't work that way. He has not asked me to do that. And I could never be good enough to do so. But because of the gospel, because I have been restored to God, and through the gospel and my love for God and growing in that understanding, I want to be obedient to him. Does that make sense? So it is not me doing something to earn God's favor. It is because I have God's favor, I want to be obedient. And so part of the way that we love God is pursuing sanctification, which is just a really fancy word, basically a way of saying to look more like Jesus. Okay, I just want to set that out there real quick to say, I'm not trying to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I'm trying to say, this is what it just looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. All right, let's jump into Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to give you a little bit of history. Daniel was written by Daniel at about 6th century B.C. If you're not familiar with B.C., it stands for before Christ. A.D. is after Christ's death, so this is before Jesus. This is a really long time ago. And he was known as a prophet. A prophet is literally God's messenger. So what that meant was he got to go and share the message of God with the people that were around him. And so what we see specifically in the first half of Daniel is the story of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happened in their lives was they, the Jews were exiled And they ended up living, I'm not going to go through everything because it would take a long time, but they end up living in Babylon. And they end up serving in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, isn't that a fun name? I like that name. Um, He was known for his military efforts. He was known for all the the, uh, neighboring lands that he conquered. He was also known for his building projects. He also had a... um, In, I guess it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, he had this hanging garden that he did, as well as we're going to look at something else that he built in this story. Sound good? That's a real quick background. There's a lot of other stuff that I could have done, but for the sake of time, uh, we're just going to dive straight into chapter three. So here's how we're going to go through this tonight. We're going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to talk. We're going to read a little bit, and we're going to talk, okay? All right, let's dive in. So page three or 431 If you're not familiar with the Bible, um, the big number is the chapter, the small number is the verse. So I just want to make sure that you're aware of that. Also, if you do not own a Bible, the white Bibles that are on the table, we want you to take that. That is our gift to you. So let's start chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an idol, or made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. For now on, I'm just going to say the rulers when that list comes up again. Of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So then the rulers um, and all of the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, so in the future I'm just going to say music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the music, they all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here's a couple of things to know. So in verse 1, it describes this golden image. And here I went and I looked up. I was like, okay, what does this even mean for the size? So basically it was about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. So think about a building. You know how you'll have like a two-story, three-story, four-story building? Based on that, one, each story is going to be 10 to 12 feet. So this is probably the height of a seven-and-a-half to nine-story building, okay? And nine feet 
wide. This seems like all you have to do is push it over and it will fall, right? So that just to give you an idea of the size. And it says that it was built in a plain in Babylon. Here's something that's important to know. It literally was stationed in what would have been a gathering place for the city. And then what we see is he has called all the rulers that are part of Babylon. And so the fact that it was in this location and he brought all the rulers together proved that what he was trying was to unite his country behind this one thing. And so, like I wrote, he said the fact that this happened is a public statement that the unity of the empire was rooted in the common worship of this golden statue. And so we don't know what the statue is supposed to represent. We know that he dreamed about it in chapter 2. So we don't know if it was supposed to represent him or one of his gods. We don't know. But we know that he built it and he is commanding them to worship. Okay, let's start, go back, verse 8. Therefore, at the time certain, uh, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the golden idol. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship, or worship the golden image that you have set up. Anytime you see the word therefore, what do we ask? What's it there for? So anytime you see that, you want to look in back and be like, okay, what just happened? And say, okay, when it says therefore, we're going back to say because of this, it means this is going to happen. And so what I want us to do, a lot of times when we read the Bible, we kind of read it like a newspaper. We're looking for facts. We're seeing what is the story. What is it that we can learn? Which isn't always bad. But I think it's really helpful for us to try to place ourselves in the story. So I want you to picture this. You're now living in a kingdom where, as a Jewish person, it would not have been permitted for you to worship another god. What is one of the Ten Commandments? I shall have no other god before me. And so you're now in this massive crowd of people in the middle of the city. And he's saying, when you hear the music, you bow down. And I think often when I read this story, I think that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had this little posse and saying, here's what we're going to do. But honestly, let's be realistic. These men had different jobs, different tasks, so they probably weren't all together. And so when that music hit, they decided individually, I'm going to stand. And so Shadrach looks over and he sees one of his friends. And looks over and he sees his other friend. You see, they were not the only Jews there, but they were the only three that we know of that stood. And we're going to talk about why they stood and what happened because they did. But think about that. Put yourself in that story. You know if you stand, you're going to go to the fiery furnace. And to decide, you know what, I cannot be disobedient to my God. I'm going to stand. And to probably do that on your own. For me, like I was wondering, I was like, would I do that? I pray that I would. And so I want you just to picture what that would be like. When it talks about certain Chaldeans, this is another group of people. And so literally, they're just trying to stir up dissension between the Jews and King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's look in verse 13. Let's continue in the story. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the music, fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? We're going to come back to that statement when he says, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. So what we see is King Nebuchadnezzar obviously respects these men because he gave them a second chance. (laughs) He literally says, okay, I want to give you one more opportunity. I'm going to let you go ahead, bow before it, and we're going to act like what just happened didn't happen. So that tells us that there was obviously some respect for these men because if not, I think he would have just sent them straight into the furnace. And once again, they said, no, king, we're not going to do it. And here's what they say. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not worship your gods. But if not. They knew that God had all the power to save them. They knew the stories. They knew about God parting the Red Sea. They knew about all God had done. So they knew, okay, if God doesn't want us to die, he's not going to let it happen. But we come back to that one phrase, but if not. But if not. There was no doubt in their minds as to God's power to save them. But they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know how God was going to reveal himself. You see, at times we get to see God's power, and then at times he withholds his power. Either way, they would not bow. They wouldn't bow. They're saying, even if God does not save us, he is still our God. He is still good. He is still worthy of our obedience and our love. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Okay, first off, did you catch that the fire was so hot that the men that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in died? Can you imagine? So, ironically, what we see is the king's order literally results in the death of his own soldiers, demonstrating that he does not have the power to protect his own servants. And yet, we get to see God step in and save. You see, they knew that the Lord either saves us out of trouble or he is with us in trouble. And so this fourth individual that King Nebuchadnezzar says, he looks like the son of God. So we don't know if this is literally Jesus coming to be with him or if it's an angel. But what we do know is this, that God showed up. God was there. And I don't know about you. Um, when times are really difficult, if you believe that God's going to show up. And I think when times are really difficult, we, have to, we then have to really figure out what is it that we believe about the Lord. Those of you who have been here for a while know that I've been walking through a really difficult time with my family the past three and a half years. It's why I wasn't here during First Flight Week. We almost lost my brother again. This is the third time he's almost passed away in the last year. And because of that, I've had to literally question, do I believe about God, these things that I teach? Do I believe that God is faithful? Do I believe that God is good? Do I believe these promises that he is not going to leave me in the midst of my pain? And I'll be super honest, there are times that it's been really hard to believe that. And so, I've had to press in. I've had to remember how God has moved 
and worked in my life. And I can go back, yes, I remember when God showed up there. Yes, I remember when God showed up there. And I might not feel it, and God might not remove this circumstance, but it says, but if not. God has the power to save, but he also does not abandon us in the middle of the trial. So let's keep reading, starting in verse 26. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the rulers gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, okay, the Jews were unharmed. They were unharmed. The only thing that the fire burned was the cord that tied them. That was it. It says their hair was not singed. Their clothes were perfect. And when they walked out, they didn't even smell like fire. The f- when I read this when I was preparing, the first time I kind of chuckled. And I was like, I can't even walk into Subway, the restaurant, and not smell like Subway for three days. Like, in the picture, even when I'm sitting outside of, like, a campfire, you smell like that. And just to think, they were in the middle of the fire, and there was no physical rep- reminder that that had happened. And remember that question that I said that King Nebuchadnezzar said, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He himself answered that question. He himself was forced to testify. While his heart was not changed, he didn't believe in God. He spoke of their God, recognizing the power that he had. And then we see that he promoted the men because of their integrity. And so we get to see three men who said, I'm not going to conform. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to worship anything else other than my God. And we see how the Lord walked into the fire with them. And then we see how it impacted the king. And you know if it impacted the king, everybody else saw it too. And so... As I was thinking through this, I started to ask, what was it that made these men have this kind of faith? And I think there's some questions that we just need to talk about and to ask. And so I want to move into the the application part of it. So what does it mean for us to love God? I think we first have to answer this question. Who or what do you worship? Who or what do you worship? You see... On this campus, and honestly for the rest of your life, you're going to be bombarded with new ideas, new thoughts, and new beliefs. You will hear opinions that you have never heard before. You will hear people tell you that this is who you should serve. This is what you should do. And you're going to have to decide, will you bow down? Will you worship? Will you look for satisfaction from something other than God? It's in those, comic, those com, uh, conversations and times that you're going to get to figure out, is this faith my own, or is this just the faith that I inherited from my family? Is this your own? Do you love God? Is there a pursuit to know God in your life? John Calvin said that the human mind is a factory of idols, that we, even Christians, constantly struggle with temptation, and how often we're looking towards all these things of the world to satisfy us. We make comfort in idol. We don't want to be uncomfortable. We're looking for relationships to fulfill us. This idea that someone can complete us is a lie. 
It's not possible. It's not possible. The only place where satisfaction can be found is in Jesus Christ. That is it. And I wrote that we may never be asked to die for Christ. We may never be in the same situation that they were. But as Christians, we have certainly been asked to live for him. So, what does this mean? Like I said, this is not about us earning favor from God. It's about when we believe the gospel. So I just want to make sure we all understand the gospel. In Genesis, we learn that God created a perfect world. And in that point, man and God walked through the garden together. When sin entered, when man decided they wanted to be God, that relationship was fractured. And what we see, the whole Old Testament is pointing back, there's pointing us towards the redemption that Jesus Christ is going to give. And so Jesus came. God became man. He lived a perfect life, and he died. If you're not familiar with that, we would love to talk more with you. But literally, because of sin, there has to be a consequence. When something is wrong, there has to be something done to make it right. And that's why Jesus came. And because Jesus died, he could restore the relationship between man and God for those that will believe. And because of that, like I said, it's not just about doing a to-do list and a not-to-do list. It's about when I believe that, when I love God, the obedience is an overflow of that relationship. So let's just get really practical. So if you spend time with me, you're going to learn a couple of things. You're going to learn that I love sports. It's one of the things that um, I just grew up with. I played just about every sport known to women except for soccer. It was way too much running. And, um, yeah, I get some, see some head nods. Tim's like, no, soccer. Um, I just had no interest in it. And so you're going to hear me talk about it. I'm so excited. The Cowboys start up this weekend. I'm a little worried. My dad raised me to love the Cowboys. And so it's actually on my schedule. I know when all the games are. Uh, it's part of the reason that I love uh, getting to work with the athletes here on campus. I just grew up there. So if you hang out with me, you're going to hear me talk about it. You're also going to hear me talk about good food. I love good food. I love trying out new restaurants. I love figuring out how do I make this. There's something about amazing flavor that points me to the Lord because he created it. I also, like, you're going to hear me talk about my faith. You're going to hear me talk about what God's doing, what God's teaching me, how I'm struggling, because it's important to me. And so if you ask the people to hang out with me, you say, okay, tell me more about Stephanie. What is it that she loves to do? They're probably going to list some of those things. They're going to tell you, I like music. And so if I was to ask someone in your life, what is it that you love? What would they tell me? What are the things that you talk about? What are the things that you pursue? Where are you putting most of your time? We had a staff member um, that served here for five years. His name is Chase. Actually, all of you that knew Chase today is his birthday, so text him later, not right now. Um, so Chase used to use this story. He was married, and he would say, if you hung out with me and you didn't know until six months after we had met that I was married, you're going to think that I, A, either don't care about my wife or that we're not very good friends because I didn't talk to you about it. And I think it's the same thing about the things that we love. They're going to just overflow from you. They literally are going to pour from us. And so would someone who knew you say that, yeah, I've seen evidence of the fact that they love God? I think those are, that's just an important question for us to ask. And so what does it mean to love God? Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live out their faith the way that they did? You see, first off, you cannot love what you do not know. They truly knew God. That is the only way we can love something is by knowing it. The more time I get to spend with someone, the more I'm going to love them. When I get to hear their story, the more I'm going to love them. Even if we're not that good of friends, even if our personalities just don't get along. The fact that as I'm getting to learn more about them, the more I will realize that I actually love that person. And so we cannot love what we do not know. And I think it's important to also realize we can only trust that which we know. They trusted that God could save them. 
And they trusted that even if he didn't, he would be there with them. And so I think it's important, how do we know God? So let's just get, like I said, super practical. I have figured out that most Christians don't know what the Bible says. I've been doing this long enough. So I have been on staff here for 11 years. I just started my 12th school year this fall. And I have found that it is, I can no longer expect that a student that I meet knows how to study the Bible. I have to expect that this is a conversation we're going to have. And so, with that being the case, if we don't know the Bible, how is it that we can truly know God? How is it that we can truly love God? And so I started to try to figure out why is it that we don't know what the Bible says. And I just came up with a quick list. I think, one, it makes us uncomfortable. (laughs) And so we want to avoid anything that makes us uncomfortable. I think because sometimes it feels too hard. And when something feels hard, usually we just put it down and walk away. When in response, we should ask for help. So if you're saying, okay, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, you know what, I don't know what to do. I open it and I try to read it, but I'm not getting anything out of it. We want you to come and ask us, how do I do this? How should I read the Bible? It's part of the reason that in our connect groups, we do that Gulsa Bible study method, is we want to teach everybody to know, okay, when you open up the Bible, here's one way you can look at it. Ask those five questions. What does it say about God? What does it say about us? What do you like? How do you summarize and how do we apply it? That's a way that we can look and unpack the scriptures. And so if it feels too hard, ask for help. We want to help you. I think also we're just undisciplined. We don't want to put in the time. We don't make it to where um, that's a priority. And if, some, if that's not a priority, it's just not going to happen. And I can be honest. There are seasons of my life when it's even difficult for me to open up and be in my Bible on a consistent basis. And so what I have found is I have to build it into my schedule. I have to. That's what works for me. And I think another reason that people don't read their Bible is that we have dysfunctional relationships with God. And what I mean by that, oftentimes we don't read it just because we don't want to. We cannot separate a love for the Word of God and the God of the Word. And so, I think those are some reasons why we're not diving into Scripture. And so I want to, in a minute, I'll kind of give you some, some hints of how to help with that. But I think it's important for you to ask, why? Why are you not diving into the Word? Is it because of one of those reasons? Because I promise you cannot love what you do not know. You cannot trust what you do not know. And those are important things to continue to build a foundation of faith. Because I promise, like I said, when things get really difficult with stuff with my family has been really hard, I'm thankful that there was a foundation of me understanding that in the midst of suffering, my God was there. I'm thankful that for that foundation already being established because it gave me something to stand on when I couldn't stand by myself. So my next question is how do we remember God so first how do we know him but let's also talk about how do we remember God I don't remember him well I've learned this about myself I'm very quick to get distracted I'm the oldest child type a very task um, oriented I'm always trying to think I run this ministry and there's so many things that I have to pay attention to and do you should see our to-do list in this place And it becomes very easy for me to worship the job and the ministry that God has given me before I worship the God. Does that make sense? That becomes very easy. And so I have to put into place things that help me to remember God. Another thing that I have to do is record who he is. And so I keep track of what God has done in my life as well as being intentional with the things that will stir your affections for God. What I mean by that are what are the things that point you to Jesus? Some of those things for me, like I said, good food. I don't know why, but it reminds me that Jesus loves me. Also, you put me in the mountains. I try to go to the mountains at least once a year. I started, I had a sabbatical in May and June, and so I literally went, I was like, I have to start this in the mountains. 
And here's the thing. In the mountains, I'm reminded how big God is and how small I am. And I need to be reminded of that. Music, conversations, getting to talk to other people about Jesus, those are things that stir my affections for him. They help me remember him. They help me remember his promises. They point me back to scripture. And so those are important. So, next question. So we talked about uh, how do we remember God um, as well as how do we love him, that how do we grow in our relationship and our love for God. Just like any relationship to grow, you have to spend time together, right? You've got to figure out what does it look like to spend time with God. Okay, who's heard of the term quiet time? Yeah, if you've grown up in church, you've heard the term quiet time. Who actually knows what that means? Like, I just remember, okay, this quiet time. Well, here, I want to kind of describe it to you. Think about it like this. Coexisting with God. Coexisting with God. So, I, um, I'm single. Uh, I own a house here in Nashville. Or, sorry, here in Denton. I was talking about Nashville earlier. Not there. It's too expensive. Um, but I have a roommate. One of my best friends lives with me. And so when Lindsay and I, we live in the same place, we come home, we coexist in that space, right? And so I, I'm cooking dinner, she's doing homework, whatever it may be, but we're still interacting, we're still talking to each other. It's not just, okay, you get 20 minutes of my time, we're going to talk before I go here and you go there. If that was all we did, would we be very good friends? No. Would that be a fun relationship to have in my life? No. I think it would be pretty frustrating. But we build time in to where we're just hanging out, whether it be we're eating dinner together or we try to do roomy fun days periodically. And so just trying to figure out, okay, it's coexisting. And so I think we need to think about our time with the Lord more like that. Instead of just saying, okay, for 20 minutes I'm going to open my Bible. That's good. We want to be in Scripture. But if that's all we're doing... We're not really coexisting well with God. And I think that that is a, is a better way to look at it. And so um, I just want to ask, I don't tip, we shouldn't do this because we're recording this, but I'm going to ask anyway. What are some ways that you can coexist with God? Just tell me. What does that look like? Any ideas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Taking it, it's, I, I call that redeeming your time. So when I'm in my car, that's a great time to be praying. That's a great time to listen to sermons, worship music. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm old. I don't listen to too much music anymore. So how do we redeem that time? Yeah, I do that when I get ready in the morning. I do that when I cook at night. Anytime that I'm just home alone, I, don't tr I try not to turn the TV on. Because that helps me redeem those times. Can you think of something else that would help you be, like, coexist with God? Yeah. Uh, memorizing, scripture. memorizing scripture. How come? Yeah. Yeah. So when something happens and then you're reminded of, oh, the Bible says this and this applies here. Yeah. Can you think of anything else? I'm just curious. How do we coexist with God? Yeah. Yep, I agree. Yeah. 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 So we want to coexist. It's not just a quick 20 minutes. There will be times that, yes, I open up my Bible, I read it for 20 minutes. But then, like Mary said, I'm meditating on what did I read. I'm praying. I'm trying to, as I'm having conversations, what the Lord's doing comes up. I'm building in those things that will remind me of God. Remember, stir my affections for him. Okay, we talked about reading the word. Now, can I be super practical with you? If you don't have a plan, you're not going to do it. Okay? So, I want to encourage you to think through, what is a plan? What is it that you want to read? If you want to do a book of the Bible, is there a devotional book you want to get? Talk to people in your connect group, and tomorrow you're going to learn about growth groups. We'll talk about how you could even use that for this. Have a plan and have someone who's doing it with you. 
my consistency significantly increases when I'm not doing it by myself. And so have a plan and have a partner. Um, so we brought up prayer. I'm not a good prayer. I'm a minister and I'm not a good prayer. And what I mean by that, remember how I said I forget God often? So you know what I do? I'm just trying to be super practical with y'all. I set alarms. And I know that sounds corny and it makes me seem very unchristian. But you know what? That's what I do. That helps me. So I set an alarm to, to be reminded, okay, I need to pray. So I pray for my family. I set an alarm for that. If I tell a student I'm going to pray for them, I set an alarm. I email myself the things that I need to pray for. I even put when I need to follow up with a student on my calendar. So I was talking with Dana earlier. I said, okay, I'm going to ask you on Friday. And I went straight into my office, and I put it on my calendar, didn't I? Because, y'all, I forget. And I know this about myself. You know that song, Prone to Wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's not just me. We have to build it in. And sometimes we need help. I have a list in my journal of here's what I want to pray for on Monday. Here's what I want to pray for on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That just helps me. And as I said, intentionally building things into your lives that are going to stir your affections for God. So thinking about what are those things that are going to remind me about who he is. Another thing, surround yourself with people that will point you to Jesus and walk, that walk with us through life. Who are those people that are going to point you to Jesus? That are going to care for you well. They're going to ask the hard questions. And they're going to remind you of Jesus. Who are those people? My roommate is one of them. She gets to see all sides of Stephanie. So she can call me on my crap. Some of my closest friends, they're the ones that, they're like, okay, here's what's happening. Here's what I need you to help hold me accountable. Here's what I'm struggling with. Can you pray with me? The person that comes to mind the most when I think about um, who has helped me, who has helped point me to Jesus the most is my adopted grandmother, Sada. I've shared some stories about her before. Uh, when I, I grew up in Arlington, and we became really close with this family. They were originally from Israel, and um, Sada's children had, great, had children, so her grandchildren were all the age of, like, me and my brothers. And so we just grew up together. You walked into Sada's apartment, and she had pictures of her family, and my family was right there. I was one of her grandkids. Oh, my goodness, how did you do that? That's Sada. Um, so when I would go to her house, freaked me out. Good job. Um, when I would go to her house, like, that's what we would do. We would talk about, Stephanie, what's God teaching you? She led eight Bible studies before she died. Um, that's all she did was teach the Bible, and that's what she wanted to talk about. And she looked for every opportunity to share the gospel with someone. The eight years before she passed away, she was really sick. And so I'd go visit her in the hospital, and I remember walking in to her hospital room, and she wasn't there. Her bed wasn't there. And in moments like that, that's usually not a good thing. And um, thankfully, I heard her walking down or coming down the hall. And so I stuck my head out, and she's talking to the guy who's wheeling her in uh, to her room. And Sada, like I said, was from Israel, so she had an accent. Arabic was her uh, native language. And the guy was asking her, so where are you from? She had the best gospel pickup lines. She would say, I'm from Nazareth. That's where Jesus is from. Do you know him? And she was looking for every opportunity, even in the middle of being really, really sick. And as I saw that, you better believe I wanted to be more like that. When I saw the way Sada loved God, and I saw the way she loved me because of how God loved her, I wanted to grow. That pointed me to Jesus. Who are those people in your life that remind you of the gospel, that point you to Jesus? I think another thing that helps us remember God and to love God is to look for opportunities to serve others. When we take our eyes off of ourself, it's a lot easier to see what God is doing around us and to be reminded of him. And that's really hard to do, isn't it? Why is it hard for you to not only focus on yourself? What are some reasons? Why is that hard? School? Yeah. Why else? I'm easily distracted. 
a to-do list. Anything else that comes to mind? About why it's hard for you to not just think about yourself? I think society breeds it into us. Number one should be number one, right? It should be what you want. It should be you do what you want to do. If something's not working for you, you leave it, you give up. So we should look for opportunities to serve one another. Another thing is we need to become a part of a local church. When we surround ourselves with other Christians, that helps point us to Jesus. And that's why we do the church tour. And so starting on Sunday, we'll go start our eight weeks of church tour um, here with the BSM. And so just to, to wrap it up, some questions to ponder. How have you been worshiping God? Is there something that you desire more than anything else? Is there something that gets more of your attention than God? I think we have to ask those questions and say, am I loving God the way that I'm supposed to? Or is something else supreme in my life? Here at the BSM, we want to help you learn what it looks like to love God. We want to help you grow in your love for God. And there's some things that we put into place to try to do that. So the first thing, like I said, we want to help you get connected to a local church. That's why we have the church tour. That's why we're doing church weeks. So like last night, North Point was here. Next week, C3 will be here, and we're going to have a bunch of other churches that are going to come because we want to get you connected to a local church. The BSM is not a church. We're an extension of the church, but we are not a church. We want to provide opportunities for you to study the Bible with one another. And some ways that we do that, obviously, would be uh, connect groups, which you went to last night at Crave, and growth groups, which you're going to learn more about that tomorrow. Another thing that we do is something called the growth course. The growth course is literally uh, an opportunity for you to learn what it looks like to pursue sanctification, to pursue growing in your relationship with the Lord within a small group, of a small community. So how do we help one another pursue Jesus. And so I want to show just a quick video that kind of introduces the growth course, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about it. 